welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. We have Lola Jean and we are getting kinky today. We are going to talk all about her work as a sex educator, a pro dom, a wrestler, and a writer. We talk about her squirting world record, the psychology behind kink and fetishes, and how to discover your own and join the kink community if that's what you're looking for. So, If any of that resonates with you, then tune in because this episode is for you. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the show. It's so great to have you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't even know how to introduce you. What 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 titles would you like the audience to know about you? I feel like you have a lot of different dimensions to the work that you do. I do. It's always different hats, different plates, uh, different income streams, but that is both a life of a sex worker and a New Yorker. Yes, <laughs> All in the yes. same. Um, so my name is Lola Jean. I am a sex educator, a mental health professional, an occasional pro dom, a fetish wrestler, and the world record holder for volume squirting. Hell yes. I mean, I think that the audience would want to ask about the last one first. What? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what does that mean? How? Uh, so this was a record that didn't exist. And honestly, I feel like I first was just setting it as like a joke and to put on a spectacle and to give myself some validity. And also it was like a big fuck you to science. Um, there was a scientist, Dr. Jana, that I had worked with and always in her lecture, she would talk about how the most amount a person could squirt was 950 milliliters. And I was always jokingly like, I could probably crush that though. Like, I I haven't been squirting for all my life. It's been the past like five or six years. Mm. But in that time, like, from what I've experienced and from what others have like kind of reaffirmed for me is that I'm very high volume. There is a lot that comes out of my body and I never actually measured it. I'm just like, yeah, I can probably crush it. Um, And plus the record hadn't been set. So no matter what I do, it's a record at that point. But Mm -hmm. I also broke science so you know it's a record. Um, But this was something that I set to Guinness standards because Guinness is a family organization. So it's not officially Guinness. (laughs) <laughs> so you, can't, you, can't, you can't do anything sexual they're literally they're a family organization yeah really yeah so i applied to them and that's what they kind of wrote back to me and basically looking it up because i'm like i'm pretty i thought other sex records exist but basically if i have enough witnesses journalists and i do it to guinness standards with certain stipulations so within a one minute period using only the assistance of one's person, meaning my hands, so there were no other people, no toys, none of that involved. Hmm. And then I measured it. I measured uh, it was 1,250 milliliters, and that was in about 25 seconds. Didn't even need the whole minute. Um, Honestly, I was like, I don't think I can squirt for a full minute. That's a long time. Yeah. Okay, so you're talking about the sex, though. They don't usually let in sex records. Is that what you were saying? Within Guinness, yes. Huh. 
Yeah. Weird. We're just going to ignore that whole aspect yeah. of life. No right? records yeah. there. They mm-hmm. have a record for squirting milk out of your eyeball, but not squirting fluid out of your vagina. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's only the one act that almost all of society does, but we'll just ignore <laughs> that <laughs> yeah, little exactly. like facet of everyone. Um, interesting. Wow. Okay. So did you do this? at home were you like in an office like where were you doing this? oh no no mama loves the stage i made a whole event i sold <laughs> tickets we sold it out we reached capacity i had wow. over 300 people um and i, I made a whole event out of it because i i before i did this i was doing squirting performances at venues like the box house of yes things like that and we had a whole kinky carnival, so there were a lot of games like, um, you know, cock ring toss, bobbing for dildos, a uh, lot, a human pinata. There was a lot of weird shit because that's, I mean, I'm campy as fuck. Uh, so we had all of these and different uh, events. So there was like a human dog show, the Olympics of pain, and it culminated in me setting this record. Wow. Uh, and I I mean, my former podcast co-host likes to say that I have a wrestler's ego. And I really come out there with a lot of that energy. But it the crowd energy, you know, shocking people putting on a show that helps me. Honestly, a lot of people are like, oh, I could never do it in front of people. I'm like, I feel like I could only do it in front of people. Um, so yeah, that's we set that whole thing up. There was a film crew it was recorded for a documentary. So for all the people, you know, with like, you know, asterisks, the research purposes that they want to see my world record. Honestly, like it's not hot and you can't learn anything from it. It's 25 seconds and I don't penetrate myself. So you can't really see that much Mm. with it anyway. Okay. So you said that you have squirting shows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, the performances you mean? Yeah. I mean, I've never seen one. Anyone who's listening that maybe has never seen one, could you tell me what that looks like? Yeah. So it's, it's similar to like there's like a lot of kind of like burlesque or erotic kind of cinema. So this was an act. Um, I, I've I've done different acts since then, but I learned how to put an act together via Rosewood, who is a performer at the box who does a lot of acrobatics with her butthole. Mm-hmm. Uh, like she can open beer bottles with it. It's pretty awesome. What crazy! <laughs> I love that. And it's it's kind of like weaving together a story and a performance. So at the box, I did a performance called Splash Dance, where you know similar to Jennifer Beals character uh i start out in the the mines i'm working and then i start doing cocaine because it's the weekend and then i take off all my clothes and then i get so horny i have to masturbate and i squirt in a bucket and i keep squirting in that bucket until it's full and i raise it up take out the chair a la flash dance pour it on myself all to uh the song maniac or a remix version of it i've done another one where i was uh, athena the goddess of war and i had all of my my manservants that i had fight and like make out with each other for my own amusement Mm -hmm. and like the whole thing is that they're all powered by my squirt it's like the nectar of the gods yes um yeah i I think it like did it end with like me squirting on these guys after they wrestled and then they started making out lovely some something like that i like i just make stuff i'd want to (laughs) see that sounds fun (laughs) is there like a splash zone with people in the front row with the water ponchos trying not to get wet (laughs) i think i i've handed out ponchos before as a joke but but just just to be funny but technically i so if people like want to get closer and get squirt on them that's one thing but i can't especially at a venue i can't squirt on someone who is not a performer that would be illegal 
So maybe, uh, but usually, usually no, it wouldn't necessarily get to that point. I've asked though. I'm like, oh, I could do this and like, and they're like, no, you can't swirl in the corners. <laughs> I love that you went there and asked and tried. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, okay. So backing it up a little bit, someone who's listening to this and says, what's squirting? So squirting is during a pleasurable sexual experience, not necessarily orgasm, though it could include orgasm. A person with a vulva will release a fluid out of their vulva vaginal region. This can project out of the body. It can fall out of the body. It can dribble out of the body. It can be a small amount, a large amount. Mm -hmm. Um, Generally speaking, if it feels good and there's liquid coming out of your body, it's probably squirt. It's really not often that we will like leak urine out of our body during sex and at no Mm. other time. If leaking is like an issue for you at times other than sex, then maybe that's something worth consulting a pelvic floor therapist about. But these Mm -hmm. are two entirely different experiences and I've done both of them a lot. So, and I've done both of them a lot on and in other people who can tell you the same too. Yes. I think a lot of people fear though that it is pee. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think there's a lot of fear that we're going to poop when we feel pleasure or we're going to fart when we feel pleasure or queef. And you know what? We might. We just also might. Yes. Yes. I love that perspective to it. And if it happens, it happens. We'll deal with it and we will move on, right? Mm -hmm. And how did you personally discover? You said you've been squirting for five to six years, you said? Yeah. So the first time that someone squirts, they're probably not going to have any idea unless someone either alerts them that like, hey, you did this or they have a lot of physical evidence. So like, oh, there's a giant wet spot right here. So I might have actually squirted when I was in my early 20s because I remember this sexual experience. Um, it was I think it was the first time I orgasmed. I remember noting about how wet it was, but I didn't know what squirting was then. And mm. my partner probably didn't either necessarily. So the first time I was aware of it was a sexual experience with a lover. And he was going down on me and he alerted me to it. He's like, oh, hey, you squirted. Is that something you do? And like, God bless this man for allowing me to assume my own relationship with it without projecting it onto me. He asked me like, oh, is this the thing you do? And I could have been like, yeah, I fucking hate it. Um, And then he's like, okay, cool. We won't make a big deal over it then. But I didn't, I was like, I I guess, I don't know. Um, So because of, I kind of had an ambivalent of like, I feel good. I'm having fun. Uh, The next time we were together, like completely decimated, destroyed the bed. No denying. I'm like, okay, my body can do this thing that I did not know it can do, and it does it a lot. So for reasons unrelated to the squirting, this person no longer wanted to see me after that. Yes. Um, so I was also just left to my own devices at the same time. So mm-hmm. as the story goes, I locked myself in my room and masturbated until I was able to replicate the sensation on my own. And then from there, it just became a series of challenges, uh, you know, figuring out, can I change the distance, the volume? Can I change what kind of sensation I do? Can I do it without my hands at all? Can I stop doing it? And the answer to that is no. (laughs) (laughs) Can you do it without your hands? I have a couple of times done it hands free, yeah. Magical. We got to talk. How? What? (laughs) So a lot of the key to squirting is muscle coordination, and that's not strength. So the pelvic floor, it controls everything near and dear in our lives, urination, defecation, orgasm, things that we can, should, and probably do every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, So with these, there's... Like any muscle, it's going to be in different motions. You know, with a bicep, you're not clenching it the whole time. You have to go in the entire motion. Same thing with our pelvic floor. So contracting and strengthening is one motion. Relaxing is another. Elongating is another motion. And 
in each of these motions, not only does this like assist in squirting, because your body can do it, it'll either do it naturally on autopilot, you don't know it, but it's doing all these three movements, or you can have some sort of control with this. Mm. And it's not that the control of the pelvic floor like makes me squirt, makes my orgasms better. It just gives me a little bit more control of, oh, I'm feeling good. You know, it would make this feel better if I did this thing with my pelvic floor. And it's not always strengthening. Sometimes it can be lengthening in doing so. So when I do this without my hands, I have to be really, really aroused and probably really engorged already. I, I call it like being a horny Peter Pan where you're like, think horny thoughts, think horny thoughts. Wow, yes. <laughs> uh, but I, I've done that and then I've used like the muscle coordination with that. I've moved my pelvis a bit. All of these things are just engaging in my clitoris in a different way. And granted, it's not the same amount as if I were to use my hand or a toy. Um, it is a little It is a little bit. It has happened a couple times. Mm. The body's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> Interesting. And that is like – if I'm trying to conceptualize how to practically do that, that would be kind of like focusing on different areas of the pelvic floor and like tensing them and letting go. Like, how do you actually describe what that's like? Because yeah. you're talking and I'm hearing you, but I'm also thinking to myself, how would I actually do that? So, and you can do this no matter if you have a penis or a vulva. If you do have a vulva, you have an internal sex organ. So I recommend first getting familiar with your pelvic floor with your hand inside of you. And actually, I mean, it's a little harder given the distance with your butthole, but you can also feel this in your rectum as well. Because with the pelvic floor, you can't isolate your vagina or your urethra or your your anus like you squeeze one you squeeze them all Mm -hmm. uh so it it you can't really just focus solely on the vagina, but you can put your hand inside of you and feel what it feels like to contract or like, you know, lift the elevator up with your muscles, push the elevator down, and then in a relaxed motion. So figure out what that feels like with your hand, figure out how that changes your pleasure, because what this is doing is engaging with your internal clitoris, or if you have a penis, it's engaging with your prostate area. Um, and those are both things that are going to be pleasurable. So when you do this in a hands-free motion, you're just finding ways to, you know, tense, relax, and then elongate. It doesn't have to be super fast, like finding these in different ways. And then I also encourage of like moving your body and your hips. You're going to naturally engage with your pelvic floor in a certain way there too. Mm, interesting. Do you think this is what's going on when people say they have breath orgasms? A little bit. So I think it's it could be a combination of that, but actually a lot of the time with our breathing. So what's happening there is your vagus nerve, which you know starts at your the bottom of your brainstem, and vagus is I believe Latin for wander. So it kind of wanders around your spine, not with your spine, and ends in your cervix. So actually, people with vulvas who are paralyzed from the waist down, they can still have orgasms by stimulating the vagus nerve. Mm. So when people are having breathgasms, laughgasms, they're engaging with the vagus nerves with these deep breathing, and that that could be responsible for the orgasm. Mm. I am a person that has a very sensitive vasovagal response. That means I faint very easily. Mm. And I have fainted from having coughing fits that stimulate my vagus nerve in a certain way. So I don't like doing breathing exercises because I'm like, I don't want to faint. However, when I have had cervical orgasms, whether I've accessed that anally or vaginally, via my cervix, this, I could describe it as like a white hot orgasm because it kind of feels like a little bit like the fainting, but like then combined with pleasure at the same time, I don't have to worry about like with my breathing, I'm in my head. Cause I'm like, I'm going to faint. That's not going to be fun. But if something's stimulating me a certain way, then, you know, it, 
it's very similar in that sense. It doesn't mean you're necessarily going to faint, but there is, you know, there can be a disadvantage and then also pleasurable feelings involved with fainting too. Certainly. Does that make sex difficult for you? I would wonder just, I mean, when you're in a lot of sex acts, there's a lot of heavy breathing that is involved. Do you ever faint? Like, I- It's less of like, it, it's more about the repetition of it. So if there is a continuous pattern with involved with the breathing on the vagus nerve that way that's something that could trigger it um it could be like i've i've fainted every which way it could be a lot of times it's from an adrenaline rise and fall very quickly it could be from temperature it could be from like you know something involved with like vertigo it could be from blood loss um tons of different things have triggered it and i've been i've been fainting since i was like 13 or maybe wow. even younger than that so i can catch it pretty well um the last time the last time i fainted i think maybe was uh i think it was coupled with like constipation and like cramping and water loss and things like that um but i haven't fainted outright ex- aside from that time for a while just because i can usually catch it but it's not something that happens normally during sex but I'm not going to consciously try to make a pattern with my breathing because of it. Yes, let's not try to aggravate it any further. Exactly. Wow, I had never heard of someone having this, so that's very interesting to me. So we're talking about squirting too, and I think one of the other questions I wanted to ask, is this something that everyone can do, or is this something that you would say some people have, some people don't? I mean, a little bit of both. So squirting is, it is a learned thing, and you'll hear people that are like in their, you know, 50s and 60s that are like, what? I can squirt? I didn't know this my entire life. Yes. And there are plenty of different things that can also change that. You know, with, with our bodies hormonally shifting, that, I mean, it's pretty fucking cool because it gives us a new body almost like every 10 years when hormones can shift. Um, a lot of times you hear about people who have like birthed a child and they find they're able to squirt like sometime after that. And this is probably due to like, they're forced to have a relationship with their vulva because it just changed. So they have been like, okay, well, maybe I wasn't concerned with it before, but now I want to be concerned with it now. So they both have that relationship and then they have to have more of an awareness of their muscles because of that changing, because they want to deal with incontinence. Um, so it's, it's not because like, oh, their vagina's like looser and like their muscles aren't. It's because they've had to bounce back from that, um, whether consciously or unconsciously. Um, but I do believe that everyone with a vulva can squirt if they have Again, this coordinated pelvic floor and relationship and understanding with their vulva and also just this trust. Mm. However, there is also a piece and I don't think it means that like genetically there is a gene that's like you can squirt. But I think for people who maybe don't have to as consciously do this or there's or maybe it's just like for high volume. But I squirt and my mom squirts. I know other people where their sister squirts and their mom squirts or they do and their mom. And that's weird. You know, there's something at least to be said about that. And these are people who are like, you know, reliable squirters, meaning like they just squirt really regularly. That's how their body experiences pleasure. Um, But I mean, from, you know, the amount of years I've been teaching this class and people who have been taking it, it for some people, it's an autopilot thing. For a lot of people and most people, it's going to be something that you have to learn and trust within your body. And a lot of the time, all it takes is me telling them, here's how your body will feel. Here's how, what you can do when your body feels this way. And that's, they just have the, then they have the trust. They mm-hmm. have the trust of their body of like, oh, this is normal. This is what's supposed to feel. This person who's professional told me this so I can do it. Um, but I take a really 
hands-off approach to squirting because everyone's going to squirt a different way from a different Mm -hmm. type of stimulation and on their own timeline. And I think we're trying to rush this thing so much. I was interviewing someone who's been squirting for like 10 years. Uh, She's kind of like a squirting elder. And she was saying that like, she feels like everyone's like feeling like they have to like wait for squirting to happen to them. And they're all just sitting around and like, a lot of the people that are doing it are just like, well, hey, I'm curious. Let's go nerd out on my body for a minute. And like that's that really could just be all that it takes, not only for squirting, but discover a lot of new things about your body. All right. For the person who wants to nerd out on their body, are there any tips, any things that you would recommend to someone who's listening right now that's hearing all you're saying and saying, hell yeah, how do I do this? Uh, any tips you might have? I mean, one of the main things is just as you do something where you experience pleasure, whether it's internal, external, all of those things just engage with your pelvic floor in different and make sure it's not just the strength thing. We all get so caught on that. And that's more of societal bullshit that says like people with vulvas, you don't want them to be loose. You got to tighten it up and blah, 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 blah. And and that's really probably just capitalism and patriarchy all rolled up into one ball. Um, yes. yes, yes. <laughs> but playing around with your pelvic floor, seeing how that changes your pleasure as you do certain things. And really the main thing is just trusting your body to push past what you think it's capable of and really to do this during masturbation. Cause you don't have to be worried about doing embarrassing things when you're masturbating. No one's got to know, like really be unbridled, uninhibited and just push yourself further. Right. But even to get to that stage, you have to kind of let go of the stigma of masturbation. So if there's anything left of that, you know, and I've personally experienced that where you're just sitting there like, what am I doing? Is this okay? And for for those people, I have a free audio guided masturbation on like iTunes and Spotify. You can just look up my name there. Um, It's currently right now, there's just one for people with vulvas. I'm working on doing one for people with penises, but the genitals are so similar. You can probably just do the same thing. Um, But that's a great one if you're like, I don't know what to do or what feels good. I'll guide you through some stuff. Maybe you like one, maybe you like 10. Maybe you don't like any of them, but it's a starting point. Definitely. No, that's a good resource. Uh, what is that called? Um, That one is called Love Thyself, a guided audio masturbation. Okay, great. That's awesome. And how then did you get to this space where you were super comfortable with your masturbation and all of these facets that you felt free to explore it on your own? Or I guess you said it with a partner first, but that doesn't – all of it, yeah. I mean, but honestly, like – and like that was like – even though it was not like love or anything like that, that was the first time I liked someone. It was my first heartbreak and that like it took me a while to process, but – Ultimately, I'm I'm happy that it ended so tragically because it really put me in this giant fuck it moment and where it's just like, okay, I, that's when I was like 26 and, you know, fast forward, I'm in my first ever romantic relationship now. It's only been a year, but that was the first time I like liked someone that I felt comfortable sexually, emotionally, all these things. And I was like, it took me this long to find someone who I wanted to do these things with And now they just pull the rug from out of me like, fuck this shit. I'm not waiting any longer. So I was in what I called my second sexual revolution. And these are kind of like, fuck it. I'm going to do my sexual thing moments. Mm -hmm. The first time I did it, I don't think I focused enough on my pleasure. I just focused on doing things. I want to try this thing, this, that, blah, blah, blah. But I wasn't as concerned about me. So I ended up getting like really hurt. Not not necessarily like emotionally, but it, it took a toll on me. It was really difficult. Um, so with the second one, I had that in mind. Where did I fuck up in the first one? How can I safeguard myself? What kinds of are my, my own like boundaries and, you know, rubrics am I going to put in place? 
And I wanted to just explore different things, learn through other people, figure out everything I society told me I had to wait till I had a partner to learn and find out. And, you know, a lot of it was really frustrating along the way because the world is not built for single people. It is built for couples. Mm-mm. And right. even though there's a lot I could explore, it's hard only having yourself at the end of the day, especially when, like, I just really wanted a romantic relationship for so long. Um, and it felt like that was something I couldn't have access to because society was like, you are a sexual object and that is all you will ever be. Um, and, you know, I, and I still feel that way a, a little bit as well. But it really took this kind of like bucket attitude. And it was at the same time where I quit my job in advertising. Um, I was waitressing and then I got fired from that. And that's when I was like, let's find a job I don't hate. I do not want to go back to advertising. I don't, I'm not ready to go back to marketing or any of that. So I started dabbling in pro domination because I was doing it personally. And I was like, hey, I like this and I'm pretty good at it. Um, And that was just through meeting someone on Tinder who was really into humiliation. And I was like, tell me about it. I think Mm -hmm. I thought I was a sub. Turns out I'm not. Um, And so I was doing that at the same time I was exploring wrestling because I'm like, hey, I'm a really strong person. There's money in my quads. Let's go. Uh, (laughs) Money in my quads. Yes. (laughs) And at the same time, then I started um, assisting Kenneth Play, who is a sex educator. And I liked the work that he was doing. A lot of it was around squirting. And I also... You know, I didn't, I felt that I had a lot that I could add. And I also felt mm-hmm. that a lot of the work in squirting felt invalidating to me. So all these things kind of coupled together and just seeing from like a couple of times I had co-taught of like, oh, wow, I know a lot more than I think I do. And there's, you know, a lot of people that want to hear this information. And honestly, it just, it really feels meant to be because it shouldn't have been as easy as it was. And of the people that I surrounded myself with, the success that they have had since then too, it, it just really feels fortuitous. And the way I put it to my therapist is I was like, all right, this is either like the next chapter of the rest of my life, or it's a really fun fucking detour. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, I think part of that is that this is your authentic self, right? Yeah. And it it took a lot of untangling that I'm still probably doing of my relationship with capitalism, patriarchy, which I'll probably never stop untangling and questioning of, you know, even of like, why do I feel like I can't say that I dislike most men? Why? Like, why do I feel like I have to be appeasing to men to like give them all the benefit of the doubt? I don't have to do yeah. that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to live outside of the male gaze. That's something yeah. I frequently think about. I'm like, why is my whole life directed towards what yeah. men think of me and what this is? I just like, yeah. uh. but it's even then. It's like when people are just like, oh, white people are the worst. It's like I understand by them saying that doesn't mean that every single white person. But yeah, white people are the worst. Mm-hmm. Yes, as a white person, yes. <laughs> Um, And I want to ask you, like, how did you start feeling those threads of your authentic self? How did you start listening to that to know that this was the direction you wanted to go to? So it really and I really attest domination and pro-doming and that first god awful dungeon that I worked in and the friendships I made because it was a time where I could exercise like being impetuous or being like, this is how I feel. This is what I want to do. And like, the world didn't end and it was fine and there wasn't mm. pushback and I could figure it out. And that yeah. helped me learn confidence. Um, the relationship with the other femmes inside that dungeon helped me regain a relationship with women from being bullied so for so much of my life 
because there wasn't competition within that. Because if you win, I win. Um, if you do well, I do well. Like there is enough money to go around. There is not a scarcity mindset within here. Uh, and that really started to like open my eyes and heal of like, what other lies have I been told? And then I, yeah, I think with just the confidence that it gives you that like you can handle anything, like survive this discomfort or, you know, be in a situation where you don't know everything and don't run away from it and be there. Don't pretend that you know everything. And the more experiences of those you have, the more confidence you are and more confidence you have and the more confidence you have, the more comfortable you feel exploring, the more comfortable you feel that you'll be able to handle fucking up. Uh, and like, the, and the less you run away from things. So it all kind of snowballs on top of each other. Um, but I think in general, I just have a very inquisitive nature. I am always just constantly, you know, looking for other perspectives. Um, but what I tell people is like, you know, a lot of people within the sex world and industry, they like to just talk about their own experience, which is great and valid. And we should be hearing that. But I think it's important to you know, if you're going to give your own experience as an example, give two other experiences of people that are not your own because mm -hmm. your experience is not the world. And especially when you're on a platform, you know, that's a power dynamic that you have to acknowledge. And you can't just be Certainly. like, well, I'm just saying my experience because everyone's a sponge and everyone's a sheep. And that's that's a responsibility that you have when you are a public figure. Certainly. And even leading this podcast, I feel that same way. It's like, how do I make sure that this isn't just a reflection of my conscious self? And that's why I ask all the people on to pick the next person we talk to because mm -hmm. I don't want to do that either. And so it's just, yeah, there's a lot of responsibility to make sure that we're hitting a lot of different perspectives when we talk about this. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that you brought that up. And equally, you said you went to a, a dungeon. Okay, I have to ask you that even we, I want you to take me back even to that point because that's even a step. A lot of people have never been to a dungeon before. How did you get there? That's a whole journey, too. So I think what's interesting, too, is just the word dungeon because that's going to elicit a certain like image in people's minds. And granted, the dungeon I worked at looks like that image that's probably <laughs> in your mind. Yeah. Uh, like a character of it. It's like Game of Thrones meets BDSM. Um, but any, any place where BDSM happens professionally or whether it's like a large play area commercially, like everyone just refers to that as a dungeon. So it could be fluffy and pink and look like a sleepover and it's still a dungeon. So this was a professional one. So I found this job on Craigslist. I was just looking for <laughs> different sketchy. places. Yep. Yeah, that, I had a lot of Craigslist gig. And you know what? That's probably how I got my stalker. Because um, I was Whoa. just giving away my phone number like it was candy. Whoa. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. you're okay. You see, you're here now, yeah. no stalker. Getting my phone stolen was obviously, it was honestly a blessing in disguise. Because I think they thought that like my phone's gone or whatever. But I, I also don't answer any unmarked numbers that call or text my phone probably smart yes yeah because this person would contact me on a million different numbers um so i could never really find who they were wow sounds like a really difficult experience yeah it, it was it was a lot of years and i'm like honestly i just admire the persistence here jesus <laughs> oh wow so this went on for multiple years yeah i filed a police report they're like we can't do anything which i figured but i mean you know the police are shit anyway but this is also something like there's no way you can track it what are you gonna do Ooh, okay i mean if you want to talk about it what happened uh with the police reporter in general the stalker i mean i don't know anything about the context of like what was going on i mean a lot of it was just 
it's funny because like the kind of messages this person would send me like I would get like dick pics and things like that but it would veer from like them wanting to like fuck me and dominate me to them like them smelling my stinky feet and all this stuff and I'm mm. like what do you which one do you want to do man which one and it would be a lot of calling a lot of multiple calls in the middle of the night my phone's always on silent like it's especially after this too like I don't I don't answer things um but sometimes it would just be a lot if I'm like trying to use my phone and I'm getting 50 messages and 50 calls and like I can't use my phone to do whatever it is that I want and it escalated to this point where like I think I had like told people about it and some people were like like, oh that's worrying maybe we should try this and like nothing ever really worked but there was one time where their threats had started to have more of a plan involved so something in regards to like coming to my apartment and doing this to me and I was like the the threats have never gone that far. They've always been kind of like, oh, I want to fuck you and I want to smell your feet and I'm like, you know, all this, your stinky butt and blah, 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 blah. But yeah. this was the first time it was like, there was a plan. So then I was wow. just like, well, this is worrisome. And honestly, too, like I've had other stalkers. This is the, the most incessant one. Um, It's something I'm also just generally pretty cautious of. I don't like people having too much access to me. Like, and I mean, like, you know, fans, followers, any of that. I'm very conscious of who I let into my life for that reason, but... Yeah, I feel like this is just also an aspect of some of the risks of sex work to a degree, or really any anything that puts yourself out in public figures that you could have, yeah. stuff like this. And so I'm happy that you're talking about it, but equally, I'm so sorry that you had yeah. that experience that had to have been terrifying to have for multiple years. I mean, the sad thing is that it wasn't terrifying. Interesting. Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, with a lot of these things, and I think it's just more sad of like what we have to expect both as women both as sex workers and I I mean at the same time I'm really grateful and thankful for my friendships within sex work um I mean the the thing is is like I've I've had one of these experiences other sex workers have had 20 worse ones as well um so it's it's sadly like par for the course because the way society views sex workers specifically and also due to like you know the fiscal nature of it is that like I pay for you or you do this thing. So you are worthless. Um, I have this right to you and your body and your time. And that's not, I mean, that's firstly, that's just a a patriarchy male thing. Um, But then also sex work on top of that makes it tenfold. If you add any kind of, you know, minority or or other lack of privilege to that, it just gets even worse. Certainly. And there's no guidelines for how to handle these things. I would imagine it's a lot of word of mouth with other sex workers of, yeah, how do, how do I navigate this situation? Mm Mm-hmm. And then there's no protection. It's a whole problem. I mean, we could rant about how <laughs> sex workers and the political change that is needed for hours. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, it's tough. And it's tough, especially when you, like, add in maybe people that are, like, neurodivergent, which doesn't mean that, like, all neurodivergent people don't know boundaries, blah, blah, blah. But it's something that, like, is becomes difficult to deal with on top of that because I'm I am not trained and equipped for that necessarily so there are some sex workers who are as well too uh, but that's something that is just tricky for me to navigate in general but it's also why I that's also that's why I don't do OnlyFans I don't want people to have that much access to me and I have no problem with OnlyFans and other people doing it but I personally like that does not fit within 
not necessarily my value system, but just like where I like access. Yeah, definitely. I am not comfortable with that amount of access. Okay. So then what does your sex work look like? Because obviously everyone's going to have a different answer for that. I'd love to hear what yours looks like. Before the pandemic, most of my sex work, money, and what that looked like for me was mainly through wrestling. So I I pretty much don't really take pro-dom sessions unless there's something very specific with like mental, verbal domination, maybe fear play involved, but usually it's all wrestling and wrestling fetish. Um, and that's just a very, I would say, I was going to say small subsect, but it's, um, it's a very popular niche within sex work. And could you describe to me the difference between wrestling and sex work wrestling? So, I mean, for what is sex work or not really comes down to the eye of the beholder of, cause you, it's funny, one of my like psychiatrists, I think when I was telling him that I was a sex worker, he's like, oh, but you don't have sex. You're not a sex worker. I'm like, well, is a stripper a sex worker? They don't have sex. Is a pro-dom a sex worker? They don't have sex. They could, but they, a lot of them do not. Mm-hmm. So it really, it comes down to how you define it. And I see as like anything where there is some sort of, you know, sexual component or I'm using that to sell what this is. Um, you know, at the same time, it's just like, I could be, you know, do painting someone's nails and they could be getting aroused from it. So, like, who is to say what is sex work? Because people find everything arousing. But specifically, it's so wrestling fetish and what a lot of people do within wrestling and sex work, which is not to say everyone, because some people might be fucking. I don't know. Uh, but it's different from what you see in, like, wrestling porn and Ultimate Surrender, which certainly has had a large role in the popularity of wrestling fetish. Um, but... What I do in my work, it's clothes on. I wear a sports bra and shorts. I tell people it can feel like whatever the fuck you want to you. To me, it needs to feel like a sport. Uh, like, I was like, I don't care if you get a boner. My role is like, if you can come as long as none of it touches me and I don't have to clean anything up. That's my main thing with it. And usually, mm-hmm. like, I'll have to give them that permission and I treat it like it's a fucking gift. Um, but I'm clothed. They are clothed. It is something between competitive semi-competitive fantasy Uh, a lot of it's going to involve different chokes around the neck around the body it could just be more so being physical it could be specific fantasies it mostly has to do with the struggle so it's the struggle of feeling caught of being overpowered by someone who is like believably stronger but also like you know you can't move when you're in this certain hold um it's it's not necessarily with each person trying to overpower though it could be as well it could even just be like lift and carry where i had i held someone in like a human backpack and did squats with them for like 45 minutes wow how strong are you i'm pretty strong (laughs) yeah (laughs) lovely that's amazing I think there's a lot of people who might not even know that this could be a fetish of theirs. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Like, how would how would you help someone see or find their fetishes? What would be your advice? So my trainer, LT, who they're an MMA professional. They've taught people from the ages of four years old to like 60 years old. They've done this professionally. And they helped train me and teach me different jujitsu moves when I started doing fetish wrestling. And when I started 
learning this, I started using it in my sex life and play fighting with lovers. And that was really fun for me because I'm a brat and I love subscribing play fighting to brats because we love the struggle. We might not like punishment, but we love the struggle. Um, (laughs) Yes. Or like the back and forth. And then let's take a step back even further. Like someone who's very, I would use the word vanilla. Is that a discriminatory term? I mean, I think it's welcomed within the kink community as like an acceptable. I think people use it as a discriminatory term, but it shouldn't be. Exactly. I want to say that. But someone who currently knows that they're vanilla but wants to explore more of anything, not, you know, Dom, wrestling, literally any of that. How did you begin to figure out these were things that you liked or? Yeah. And I mean, I think there is a huge pressure, like not only to be the cool girl, but to like know what you want, tell them what you want, tell them what your boundaries are, know what you're into. And there's this pressure to know that and say it. But like, how the hell do you figure that out? For some people, it's simple. It slaps you in the face. But for a lot of people, you might have to be curious poke around and cultivate. Um, but it's it's not as simple as trying a thing because a lot of kink, a majority of kink is psychological. There's parts that are physical, but there's things that are psychological. So <laughs> one time I read this article in like Men's Health or Ask Men or something, and it was about piss play. And it was like, okay, this couple tried peeing on each other in the shower. What did you think? And they're like, mm, yeah, I wasn't really into it. It's like, that is not how piss play works. You don't physically get peed on and be like, oh my God, that was so enjoyable. It's a mental thing. A lot of people, it's about the intimacy or it's about the dirtiness of it. Or like, I don't usually see someone when they pee. I'm seeing this really intimate part of someone doing a very intimate thing. Um, and those are those are things you can't realize immediately. So the best way to to figure this out is one is just to focus on feelings and ways that you like to feel and want to feel and then also Mm -hmm. things that maybe make you shut down so things that you Mm -hmm. don't want to feel and really get your vernacular much beyond hot horny aroused don't give a shit about these words ideally that's happening in some way but you're not necessarily looking for like what feels good what do you enjoy um but like how do you want to feel do you want to feel small do you want to feel adored do you want to feel ignored um i'm sounding like dr Susa kink over here <laughs> yes do it uh we're working um I, my colleague mr shale and i are working on one uh-huh. of those like feelings charts that they have where it's like point to if you feel sad or the sad face yeah. the happy face but for bdsm because especially wow. cis men they have such a hard time articulating how they want to feel so this way you can just point at a face of like i want to feel like i'm useful um or i want to feel emasculated or or whatever the things may be so it's focusing on those feelings but also like you were saying the best thing is talking to other people about their experience and you don't have to be into their thing but find out this is how i discovered i was a dom i met someone who really liked verbal humiliation didn't Mm. want pain or anything like that and i was like well, why do you why do you enjoy this? Like, how does this make you feel? What is it that you get out of this? And I listened to them explain it. And I was like, Oh, that actually sounds kind of hot. Like, Oh, I or or like, Oh, I get it now. That makes sense to me. It doesn't mean I have to engage in it. But maybe I realize that and that's the first step you can do is just to be inquisitive of other people's desires. It doesn't mean you have to do them doesn't have to for sure into them. But it could be a really great start because then you start to understand the mental aspect behind it and and you gain insight experience through that. Maybe you do engage with it with them. But what do you do if no one's having those conversations in your community? 
you know, like you were lucky you got that person who was very outspoken, very open about their desires. And so you were able to learn from I think a lot of people in their social communities just don't even talk about this stuff. And so it's like, how do you even begin? I mean, that's a hard question. But how do you begin to talk about sex? How do you begin to open up this dialogue and find out? Because I think there's just so much shame and stigma around this kind of stuff that some people just won't talk about it with other people. I don't know. I, and, and I don't think porn's the answer. I don't want to say no. like, hey, everyone, go watch porn. That's going to help you. So then it's like, okay, is it is it books? Is it speakers? Like someone who really doesn't have the community and wants to learn. So, I mean, there's a couple different things. Like there, if you look hard enough, there are communities that are out there. And you – I mean, so one of my favorites that I've like learned and met people from Found New Kinks is through an app called Field, F-E-E-L-D. And it's not an app that's just for kink. It's an app that's for anything alternative. So maybe it's maybe you're just queer. Maybe you are non-monogamous. Maybe you want to have group sex. Maybe you want to explore BDSM. Like, it, you can find... Everyone is like, going to embody all of those, but you can find some of that within there. And people are encouraged to share what their interests are, what they're curious about. It doesn't mean it is like a pickup cruising zone where everyone you talk to, you're like, all right, let's meet and fucking at tomorrow. Are you interested? Maybe you do find that, but there, everyone's still a human being on there who might just want to be asked what kind of music they're into as well. This is an app where you connect with other people, like socially. Yeah, okay. and um, they through the pandemic they've done like even you can join a like remote location for people that want to just do digital things. Mm-hmm. FetLife, it is a bad resource sometimes, but it can be a good resource, especially for virtually learning and engaging with people. There, There's just, there's a lot of shit that goes with it too. What is that for any listener so, who's never heard that before? That life is like kinky MySpace. I feel like it's the, it, I mean, it's got a really old school UI. It probably is really white heavy. You're probably going to also find like with any online community that radically accepts people, there's going to be a lot of people with views you do not agree with. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to maybe fetishize you when you don't want to be fetishized. So I don't want to act like these places are utopias. Yeah. But I, I think it is a good place if you're just like, I want to have an online sub or dom and just like learn about this or talk to someone or find a, a community within that. That's how I, I mean, I first found for people who squirt, I'm like, there has to be a good solution for the mess. I'm like, you know, fast forward, I'm now going to be creating an online community for people who squirt a lot because there's not, it's hard for us to find individuals who have the same experience as us. Um, And Mm -hmm. usually places that are talking about squirting communities, it's how do I make someone squirt? How do I squirt? And not like... How do I deal with the shit that's already coming out of my body? Right. And I think that's really important because there's not one way to do anything. And then maybe you can see this person resonates with me. And then maybe you go follow them on Instagram and you learn from them. Like, I don't know. I'm thinking of like, I'm like, oh, like my colleague Empress Wu, I think is just like fucking fascinating. And I love talking to her about cannibalism and like, I learned so much from that. And like, so it's like you find someone from somewhere you resonate with and be like, I want to learn from them. Did you say cannibalism? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. We want to talk about it? Yeah. That became, I think, more into our periphery with, like, Army Hammer and what came out, like, that summer with this, which I think it it put a really bad rap on the cannibalism kink because he just, he wasn't, he wasn't going about it in the right way. He also probably didn't have room to explore it on his own because he's a celebrity. I don't know who this is. What is oh, this? It's, um, he, he was an actor in the social network and like all these other, a lot of films. Um, but 
he probably has a cannibalism kink. And the thing is with, so with cannibalism kink, this is one of those where it has to, like, you have to have it exist within fantasy for a large part of it. Um, and yeah, I hope you don't eat anyone. Because <laughs> there's, yeah. there's a lot of things that we either, you know, we are physically incapable of doing. Like if you right. have a gigantism like fetish, like I'm not actually 12 feet tall. So we're going to have to figure something out here. Um, or you're not you're not actually the size of a grape. So I can't actually squish you. Um, or, you know, I, I can't actually castrate you. That's pretty illegal. Um, so yeah. there's certain things that are going to have to exist in fantasy for that reason. But also like on Seven Days of Domination, we had a pro sub on and she ate a piece of her flesh they cooked it up they put it in truffle oil um so like there are also ways that you could consensually enjoy it but on top of all this army hammer is a celebrity and there is an inherent power dynamic and when you have power dynamics you can't just be like hey you can say no at any time because that doesn't work because it's like well if i retaliate what are they gonna do if there is a power dynamic you need to give that person an opportunity to like exercise their no and then not freak out and that will make them conscious that they can do this again that will give them education but it was something where like cannibalism can can totally be fine i think we think that we're like you can't eat people it's like okay well no but like maybe you could this person cut off a piece of their thigh and like they had a great time with it so like you can if you want to progress to that which like that will take a while and so much negotiation and so much conversation but a lot of like cannibalism kink is not inherently bad, but and no kink is inherently bad. We can go about right. any kink in a bad way. For sure. I just had never heard of it. Mm-hmm. So you're teaching me. I was just like, wow, I didn't know that was well, a kink that even could happen. But if you think about it, it's like it's so intimate. If you are consuming someone or a part of them, you are making their body a part of yours. That's like the most intimate thing you can possibly do really romanticizes it <laughs> yeah I'm like i don't know if i want to eat this person's thigh you know yeah. what i mean but hey i mean every person has their own thing and you know maybe one day i'll find that person and make me want to do it and i yeah. have that intimate connection i just love that she's like i wanted to do it and then she did it and i'm like you're so badass jesus hell yeah i mean that's brave and just wow um definitely which is great we need more people in the community that are doing this and really being outspoken about it I think another thing that I'd want to ask too is, are there people in the community that are trauma-informed? There's a lot of sexual trauma I think that people coming into the space might need to talk about or just know that there's people in the community who are aware of that and like are able to guide and help. Yeah. And I think you'll find because, I mean, a lot of people that are sex workers, you know, they're not necessarily going to school and getting, you know, the certifications and this and that, but a lot of people are trauma-informed. And I think it's you know, not all sex workers, sex educators, all therapists, like even are created equal. So with anything, it's kind of like a dating process of like, does your style, does that work with me? I know for myself, when Mm -hmm. I like sub and I'm bratty, like not like the majority of people are not going to mesh well with me and my style. And like, you know, they're not going to be able to whether it's like handle me, motivate me, deal with me. So it's, whether you're seeing someone who's like a potential partner or it is a sex worker, it's still not everyone's going to be able to learn your style and mesh with it, especially if it's something that is very particular or sensitive or heavy. So it, mm-hmm. it may just take 
you know, talking with people, understanding if it is professionals, usually we, we have a large network, we'll refer you if we don't feel like, you know, we're the best fit for you. Or if you like, you want to do something I don't do, I'll be like, hey, I don't do it. But this person does, you probably fit really well with them. It's like some people like, oh, I really want to have a queer or a trans top. It's like, Mm -hmm. I am not a trans top, but I know this person who is, if that makes you more comfortable. Right, right, right. Okay, so then how do people find doms? You're talking about this where you can kind of do this like networking. Where do you get a dom? Because the internet, or no, because the government has made things increasingly difficult for us, you have to do (sighs) a little bit of digging. So, you know, Twitter is a little bit of a safer place than, than Instagram, but generally just search like your city, this and like dominatrix or dom or professional top, whatever, or if there's something specific that you want, see who you find, message them. If you get to talk to them and they're not a fit, then you start going through the networks. Um, but but because we are the only people that can keep ourselves safe, we have a really large like referral network. So usually mm. we're going to ask someone for a referral if they haven't seen someone before. And then we have to talk to the other doms and like, and we just get to know each other that way. Mm, okay, so for someone new, it would be going through a little bit of a process of getting to know whoever they want to meet with and making sure that, you know, the dom feels comfortable bringing them in. And then from there, once you have that first experience, they could branch out potentially to find yeah. others once they kind of have that referral. And if you're not seeing like a professional, if it's like, you know, a person, then, you know, through it, it gets a little bit harder within the pandemic. But like there are different events things like munches um which are events that are not like there isn't the threat of play play meaning whether it's like sex or kink activities going on it's just kind of like you know a ladies who lunch kind of a thing i guess not just ladies um but that's a place where you can meet people and again not everyone's vetted it doesn't mean everyone's safe and good but it's really important for that reason to find kinky friends ideally Mm -hmm. before you find a kinky partner so Mm. not just relying on the people we want to fuck but when you have kinky friends, you can be like, hey, I'm doing this thing. Does it sound safe? Do you know who this person is? Should I be worried about this? Especially if you're new. Because with any kind of group that radically accepts people, they're going to radically accept a lot of shitty people too. So kind of like sex workers, you also have to work extra hard with your referral networks on keeping yourselves and each other safe. So really, you know, if you're going this on your own, you don't have your kinky friends or any of that, like, just doing it very cautiously and not trusting people because they tell you to trust you. Um, you know, like there's so many things we would have said to our former selves when we stepped yeah. foot in this world. Because it, as fun as it is, it can also be very dangerous and people love mm-hmm. to prey on newbies. Um, so you're kind of like the little baby birds in the, the African safari over here. Um, you're, you're, you're all little newborn gazelles. So, you know, eventually you won't be a newborn gazelle. But until that time, like, unfortunately, like, exercising more caution you know honestly i look for events groups anything the more queer it is the better yes 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 they're just going to be more considerate generally yes definitely and you mentioned munches where do people find out about that how do you find a local munch what do you do if that's what you want to go to you could search munch and then your city um Fet Life is a place for it, but uh, it really it depends. Every city is kind of different. Like within, mm. like in London, there's a place called London Alternative Market, and it's both a little like place you can shop different vendors. There's usually a mm. class. There's like a social. You can drink whatever it may be. Um. So and 
sometimes there could be like trade shows um, or even community events. Even like if you don't want to see a sex worker, you just want to meet people, having some sort of event that is helping to support or donate to sex workers or marginalized groups within sex work. That can be a great place to meet people within the community too. Mm, definitely. And I'm glad you me- mentioned that as well. I also wanted to ask if there is any resources or anything that you'd recommend people who want to support sex workers and all of this, if there are specific resources they could go to to do that. So most uh – a lot of cities, not most cities, but a lot of cities have um, SWAP, which is Sex Worker Outreach Project, I believe that stands for. There's different chapters, ways that you can get involved um, in in different cities. There might be different things as well. There's Red Canary Song um, that's based in New York that primarily supports Asian American sex workers. Um Empress Wu, who who runs that with a bunch of other people or works in that, has something called Veil Machine, um, V-E-I-L. That's an art collective aimed at supporting sex workers um, and aimed for decriminalization, decrim movements um, around different places. I, I remember going to Amsterdam. There's a lot of things like Red Umbrella is a good term to search for. Um, but usually like they, they, everything exists. If you look hard enough, you just have to look a little hard enough. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask you too. I mean, you're very outspoken about this. Is this something that you're outspoken about with everyone? Do you ever get any stigma and oppression from other people when you tell them what you do? What has been your personal Um, experience? I'm I'm pretty outspoken and unapologetic about it because I'm just I don't I don't have anything to hide. Come at me. And I realize that is a privilege within that as well. Um, I think there's certain times where I mean, I had to there's a whole deal with my family that I had to do. The only times I hold back is with men, (laughs) Um, with men that I don't know. Or if someone's like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, I don't want to have a whole conversation about sex. and I don't want you to sexualize me like yeah. Um, but that's like the the only time is if like I just don't feel like getting into it specifically with a man, but usually I'm down to have the conversation. Um I'm down to see how this person responds to me. It kind of depends more on my patience than anything, but like if someone else is uncomfortable as a problem with what I do, then that sounds like their problem because I don't. So like did I just make your conversation uncomfortable or your day? Like, it sounds like something you should work on because, like, I'm not going to be made to feel bad about what I do, that it's inappropriate, that I shouldn't talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. And the thing is, is, like, I give people an opportunity to opt out. This is a lot of what I tell my parents of, like, you can't just assume that everyone's going to be uncomfortable with what I do. So I'll tell them, like, hey, like, oh, yeah, I'm a sex educator. I, I teach things, everything from, like, you know, consent education and sexual harassment education all the way to squirting and like cool i've given them options if they don't want to learn further they'll be like hey how's the weather like whatever they want to do but it gives them an opportunity to have their own opinion about it they could either completely go away from it or be like wait that's really interesting let's talk more about it and i could also be like yeah i don't feel like it today (laughs) for sure exactly i mean yeah that's your autonomy you choose who you disclose to and objectification by men of you. I mean, that's very that that happens all the time in society. So I think at that point, it's almost a piece of survival of like, you know, who do I want to disclose this to? Because there could be these other pieces that really, I just don't want to deal with today. Yeah, like, am I by myself? Am I with a friend? Am I with my partner? Like, exactly. And like, these are all calculations that we just make every day all the time. And you mentioned your family. Mm hmm. So uh, the <laughs> yeah the way I tell like the the way this like joke and story goes is that I didn't make a conscious decision to disappoint my family every day but like here we are and I'm glad I did 
Um, I, about like two years ago, I kind of gave an ultimatum of like, hey, like this is what I do. And like, I don't need you to approve of it. I don't need you to like it, but I'm also not changing it. Um, and like, this is who I am. So you can either, you know, you can get on board or you cannot, but I'm not waiting for your approval. Um, like if you, if you want a champion, like if you're worried about what other people think, like that's, you're projecting that onto them and like having to describe this, but as kind of like, if you want to talk to me, like I can't just like piddle around what it is that I do. You're going to have to get over it. Right. Exactly. And I think it's so hard to imagine having the strength to set that boundary with people that are important in our lives, especially family. But, you know, equally tying this back to the beginning of the conversation, you found this thread of, you know, your existence that really speaks to you. You found your authentic self. And then at that point, it starts to resonate so deeply that drawing those boundaries becomes much easier because you know this is just you. Yeah. I do lie to them about wrestling, mostly because I don't want to have to deal (laughs) with them and their concern for my safety and stuff like that. It'll be like, you wrestle strange men? It's like, I also meet people in dating apps. It's the same level of, like, danger. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Every single time you're like, am I going to die tonight? I hope not. It's unfortunate that that's a reality. Yeah. Yeah. But equally, I want to ask everyone on the show, I close with this one question. What is one thing that you want to normalize? I mean, I don't know if it's like normalized, but I really, and like this is also just personally, but taking the ego and pressure off of sex. So it's not just about like, you know, did you come and all these things, but like, I just want to have fun when I have sex. And I think for a lot of people, they're going to feel like failures if I don't orgasm or I don't squirt mm-hmm. or all these different things or like that's on them when in reality it's just like I don't want you to worry about me in that way I just want to be able to go into this and have fun and I want you to have fun and your fun time could include orgasming or it could not my fun time could or it could not like and going into that with that mindset just opens you up to so much more opportunity than not it's not necessarily like a bad thing to have goals because goals can be fine but it's when those goals happen or not and that changes if we deem something as a success or not or if like we're worried about it yeah definitely i just it's hard because i want everyone to feel this exact same way but that's not where most people are at do you know what i mean it's like what do you have to start thinking to kind of get to that space where you can have that freedom to play and enjoy sex and it not be this performative aspect because that's a hard space to get out of it feels like more pressure too to being like don't fake orgasms like well i'm not supposed to fake orgasm and i'm not supposed to do this and that and it's all these expectations we're adding exactly exactly and then i need to breathe this deeply and i need to do this and my body needs to look like that and if I don't come, then they're insecure. And it's just like, I love where you're at. How do we bring more people to your space of yeah. understanding that we deserve pleasure and that can take on many different forms? That doesn't always mean orgasm. It can mean whatever you want and kind of like taking away those rules. I don't yeah. – it's hard. And I don't really yeah. know how we do that <laughs> to I, other people. I feel like people have to swing to one end of the pendulum before they can settle in the middle because it's the same reason everyone's drawn to squirting because they're like, well, I want to do this thing. Goal, goal, goal. And like – I've done that. I've done the, like, I don't orgasm and now I squirt all the time and that sucked too. Um, so now it's just kind of this, like, in the middle thing where, yeah, it's like when you have all these expectations, it's like, well, I'm, I don't even know if I want to have sex anymore then. Exactly. But exactly. if you don't have enough sex and you're going to feel like we're not having enough sex, so I need to do that. And, like, 
And it, yep. it nev- there's always going to be a thing. There's always going to be a thing. Exactly. Yeah, because then that's the next rabbit hole. Now something's wrong with me. Blah, 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 uh-huh. blah, blah. And then it gets even harder to get back into that space of wanting to have sex because now you think the identity piece that I'm – something's wrong with me. Yeah. And yeah, I, it's hard. Like this is – I don't want to underestimate how hard it is to get into the space of ownership of our pleasure, ownership of our ability to explore and have that. But damn, is it hard. And I just want to acknowledge yeah. that and like – open up other people to take a beginner's mind to it, I guess, and explore. Yeah. I like Yeah. We're cuz we're that's the thing is we're never going to stop learning. We're never going to know everything. There's always going to be more to explore with our own bodies, with other people's bodies. Technology is going to change, we're going to change. Like there mm-hmm. there will always be something. Certainly. I think it's yeah. fun to take just like a child's perspective yeah. to it. Like, let's touch this. Does this do something? How does that feel? Let's try that. Like, let's just do it. That's like verbatim how I like teach my like penis pleasing classes like just look at the penis like it's like what is this do? <laughs> exactly exactly just bring a child's mind to it and i promise you'll have fun <laughs> well this has been such a lovely conversation i'm really glad that i was able to have you on the show and you just had so much information and i really hope this helps someone who's wanting to get into more of this yeah absolutely do you have anywhere that you'd like to plug people to find you at if they want to learn more of your stuff and your educational resources yeah so Pretty much hub for everything that you can find. What I'm doing is at lolajean.com and my social media is also lolajean.com with the D-O-T spelled out. That's where you can find Seven Days of Domination. That's where you can find my old podcast, my new podcast, any live, digital, or otherwise classes, recorded ones. Everything's kind of funneled through there at the moment. Great. Okay. Lovely. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's conversation, then subscribe for new episodes released every Wednesday and follow us on Instagram at Modern Anarchy Podcast, where we open up a dialogue about all of these topics. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. And a special thanks to one of my favorite artists, Your Smith, for the intro and outro song to this show.